After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal! Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! It's not the playoffs, but you know it's getting closer and closer and we have that anticipation and excitement in the NHL right now. The games mean more, which means the intensity goes up, which means there are often situations that warrant officials stepping in on the ice. Aren't there, Josh? Yeah, sometimes they need to step in to break things up. Sometimes they need to step in to right the wrongs or call the penalties. And sometimes they need to step back and get out of the way. <laughs> yeah, we had we had a couple of instances of that this week, and we'll get into that as well. This is the Scouting the Rest podcast. It is brought to you by Manscaped. And you know, there are special savings for you with our partnership with Manscaped. If you use the code REFS, it is our code. Please use it. R-E-F-S, you will receive 20% off your order and free shipping, free shipping as well. So it, it's been an amazing learning experience as well, using these great Manscaped products. Of course, it began with the lawnmower. It's super fast, it's super easy, and it's super safe for grooming below the waist. The ergonomic shape, easy maneuvering, efficient trimming, and all the ancillary products that the Crop Restore, the Crop Revitalizer as well, and then... It was the weed whacker, Josh. And in terms of the the lawnmower, it's the lower body. The weed whacker is focused more on the upper body. And the operating speed gets me. It's 9,000 RPM. It is amazing how well this thing works. It sounds scary. It sounds dangerous, but it, it's not. <laughs> it's perfectly safe. I mean, you can, you can practically do it blindfolded. I'm not encouraging you to try. No, no. But it, it is safe and it's effective, right? It gets... The grooming done. It takes care of what you need to take care of if reducing the hair quantity is what you're going for here. And it should be, frankly, because you, you do need to to keep the fairway maintained. You don't want to be driving mm -hmm. out of the rough there. You want, mm, you want a nice, nice manicured golf course, top and bottom, you know, the front nine and the back nine. And these are the right <laughs> tools for the job. Here's the other thing that you're you're located in a more northern area right now. And I've been in the south for the last couple of weeks where it's not just spring. It is full-on summer, heat and humidity, and let me tell you, the importance of grooming is even more vital here. I just want to use one phrase to emphasize how important it is, and you can tell me whether it's accurate or not. Swampy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, swampy is summer, but but summer goes uh, a lot farther when you're in warmer climates. So you, you got to do what you can do to avoid swampy. And you know, I would never suggest a fur coat in swampy weather. No, no, no. I, you just you just don't feel fresh. And if you haven't used the lawnmower and the weed whacker, give them a try. All the heat, all the humidity of the warmer months is coming. Do not miss out on this opportunity to save. Go to the website now, manscape.com. Use the code refs. Get 20% off and get free shipping. Please make sure you're following us on our social media channels as well. For Josh, it's at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and Instagram. And yes, we like those questions via email as well. Hey, ref at scoutingtherefs.com. On this week's episode, welcome to the worlds. Did anyone see that truck that ran me over? And it's happening again. 
Matt Martin, Zdeno Chera like to punch each other. I think that sort of covers pretty much where we are, don't you think? <laughs> it does. Although when, when you say Matt and Zdeno like to punch each other, I think it was more of Chara doing the punching in this case, or at least yeah. landing. Yeah, I, I, I guess that's true. First up, though, before we get into any of these things that happened in the NHL, let's welcome those referees, the linesmen, the supervisor to the men's under-18 championships taking place in Dallas right now. Let's also send some positive thoughts that the IHF, double IHF, can get it together. And the women's world championships that were unceremoniously canceled at the last minute by the province of Nova Scotia could be played at a later date. Crews working do have some international participants, but like everything, there's been travel restrictions and the like. So there's a lot of U.S. focus on the group of officials at those world championships. Yeah, there is, but it wasn't something that the IIHF was going to let stop them, something that was going to prevent having this tournament. So they did what they could as far as having that international flavor. And there are a number of folks from overseas, so nice to see them have that. But certainly, we're a little U.S. heavy when it comes to the officiating representation. And it's not something that's entirely out of the the scope of what the IIHF has had to deal with, especially over the past year. So they certainly try to keep a balance with, you know, two, three officials from each country. And it wasn't possible this year, but Danny Kerman commented on it to say that it's not something that they want to let stop them and that they absolutely hold the integrity of the tournament in the highest regard, and that these officials have the ability and the skills and the background to call it that way. So no worries that it's going to be a little bit unfavorable towards the non-American teams. You know, we looked last year, we we saw World Juniors in Canada with an all-Canadian officiating lineup, and the games were called fairly, and I had no reason to suspect otherwise during this year's under-18s. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. The other thing is, these tournaments are super important for the players participating. It, it, it grades them, and everybody's watching. It's also just as important for officials as well. I mean, it's a great prestigious honor to be selected and it's a good boost for your career too it absolutely is it's, it's something that you aspire to you know, you're working in your home country whether hockey canada whether usa hockey or, or the international organizations and certainly to be selected by the IIHF to work one of their championship events is a big deal and you want to work your way up that ladder too because it's working events like these and then you end up working world juniors you end up working the world championship and hopefully you end up working the olympics so it's a, a nice way to get acknowledgement for all the work that you've put in in your local organization and to have that opportunity to perform on a great stage so glad to see that these guys get the shot here and hopefully they have a successful tournament and really hoping that the women's tournament is able to happen later this year for the players and like you mentioned todd for the officials yeah, they seem pretty confident they can get it rescheduled. So let's hope that's done in rather short order. A um, couple of bookkeeping items for the start of this week as well. Joe Thornton was fined for <coughs> interference and Matt Barzal was fined for the big dive versus the Capitals the other day. Those were both fun. Um, both fun plays. <laughs> nice to hit a couple guys in the uh, in the wallet since that's all that they seem to be getting at this point. But I thought that they were both earned. Both got their money's worth out of those, if you will. Barzal, you have to think of it for a diving fine. You're looking at a second occurrence. And this is the first diving embellishment we've seen all year actually result in a fine. So there's no telling how many guys have been warned along the way. Barzal was warned after an incident in January against the Flyers. He drew a tripping call on Claude Giroux. Obviously, the league felt that he embellished that one a bit. He didn't earn a penalty on this one, but he did earn a fine for going down, grabbing the stick of Carl Hagelin, who, who hooked him. Didn't get a call on it, but he went down, and the league obviously took notice. So to explain how the diving works is 
there's usually a conversation or an official warning first, and then it escalates up to fine. Is this similar to other supplemental discipline? Yes and no. So when it comes to diving, you've always got that warning. You've got a structure around the diving embellishment process where it's very formalized in what happens. If they saw a dive, if hockey operations identified that there was a dive on the play, whether or not it was called during the game is irrelevant. They want to find the guy for it. They first have to issue a warning. Once they've documented that warning, and those are not made public, but the league keeps a record of warnings that they've issued, the second incident that happens after the player has been warned will result in a fine. So that's happening every time. I I don't want to use the term repeat offender, but that's basically what we see in a small scale on diving over the course of the year. You get a warning, you get a fine, and the fines escalate there. It starts at 2,000, eventually works its way up to five. Your coach could even get fined if we start to see the same player called for multiple diving infractions. So it's very structured and formalized, and there's not really a grade or a scale. If they felt you dove, they felt you embellished the call, you're getting hit with either the warning or if it's your second or subsequent occurrence, you're getting hit with a fine. So that is real formalized. You know, when we look at what player safety does with incidents on the ice, they've got a lot more leeway. They can issue a fine without a warning. They can issue a warning without a fine or a suspension. There's an ongoing dialogue with player safety, with George Paros and his team and the general managers around the league to communicate when they've got guys who are maybe having issues on the ice that don't quite rise to the level of a fine or a suspension, but that are not something that player safety wants to see. And in those cases, they are giving warnings, but they don't need to have a warning first. They don't even need to do a fine. They can jump right to whatever level is necessary to respond to that player. So while you can give warnings for safety incidents on the ice, and they certainly do, it's a much less formalized approach and not one that has to be followed. You can jump right to a five-game suspension if you need to. Interesting. Well, and it would be necessary at, at some point if that uh, if the offense warranted too. But I, I'm glad to hear that there is conversation and dialogue between player safety and teams. I think there maybe there should be more. I think maybe that should be a more public process as well, don't you think? It'd be interesting to know that certain players were warned for on-ice incidents. And I, I know the league probably doesn't want to get into specifics, but I would think that knowing that a player had been warned for previous on-ice incidents would be would be kind of helpful to know, or or at least curious to see when those players get warned, how many of them cross the line again, or how many of them learn from the warning and and how many don't and just continue with the same behavior that they've done. I mean, certainly we've seen it with certain repeat offenders or certain guys that seem to continuously get in trouble for headshots. And you have to wonder how many warnings and conversations take place regarding those guys. True enough. All right. We've had also a couple of reminders this past week of how challenging and difficult the work by the guys in stripes out on the ice is. Earlier in the week, linesman Johnny Murray was working the Canes-Stars game. He was moving up the ice with the play, and Murray was working the the side of the the ice where the players' benches are located behind him. Carolina defenseman Jake Gardner and Stars forward Blake Como were engaged in some... Uh, physical activity, we'll call it. They were kind of headed in the direction of their respective benches, and the two players bowled over the linesman that left him knocked down to the ice. The play was whistled down. Murray remained on the ice for for a minute or two before getting up and heading off. And Daryl Ray, who was working the broadcast on the Stars television, gave a nice shout-out to the officials for all their hard work and effort this year and explained the challenges and how difficult the season has been. I'm first of all wondering, has there been any update on Johnny Murray? Murray, thankfully, was not injured as bad as was suspected. He was able to return to the game, so they had to go with three guys for a short time, but Murray got checked out, 
get approved. He got the thumbs up and returned to action. So nice to see that he wasn't seriously injured on the play because while it didn't look like much, it doesn't always take that much to result in an injury. He was absolutely blindsided by the hit. And these officials, while they do have some padding on, they're certainly not equipped like the players are to handle a hit like that, especially when it's coming at you from the side and you have no idea. You can't brace for impact. It's the short boards in front of the bench. So there's not even glass there. Very fortunate that it wasn't worse than it was. But, you know, you never want to underestimate an official getting hit like that of the severity of the injury that it could cause. So thankfully, Murray seems to be OK. He's he's continued working his assignments. So good sign for Johnny Murray there from what, what could have been uh, far worse for sure. Yeah, definitely. Now, there there was another collision in the Montreal Canadiens and Toronto Maple Leafs game this past week. This one involved Cole Caulfield and referee Mark Joannette. Caulfield was chasing the puck through the neutral zone, and Joannette was watching the play coming toward him, and he saw Caulfield coming toward him, but Caulfield had his head down and was focused on the puck, did not see the referee, and the two collided and went down heavily make for a great meme, but it looked like both escaped without any serious injury here as well. Yeah, they did, which was good for both of them. Caulfield, not a huge guy, so running into Jonette had to be a little bit of an impact there. <laughs> and it, it certainly was as they went down, but Jonette was calling a penalty, so he had his arm up. He's watching the play. He gave Caulfield the lane. You know, he was backing up towards the boards to give him a clear path to continue. Not sure if he was just planning on taking the boards, but he had his head down. And that's one thing we always tell players in the league is you got to keep your head up mm -hmm. at all levels. And uh, Caulfield will remember that. Thankfully for him, it was only the referee that ran him over this time around. I wonder if Caulfield was maybe confused and flashing back to his debut solo lap that he had a couple of <laughs> nights earlier. Do you think that was maybe it? Just thought he was the only one on the yeah, ice? Hey, there are other guys out here, not just the guys wearing your colors or the other colors, but we've got some zebras too. So you're going to have to get used to that. It's the big leagues, Cole. So it, it also makes me think when an official, be it linesman or referee, is doing their first game in the NHL. Do the guys give them like a solo lap or is there any other rite of passage that they go through for the first game? Uh, typically, you know, when the guys come out for their skate, uh, we don't get to watch it much on TV. So you don't get to see them come out. The lights are usually down and it's it's not something that the league is typically recognizing when a guy's working his first game. But certainly there's an opportunity to do so when the four guys hit the ice and, and give the guy a lap there in the dark before the teams come out on the ice. And Perceptive fans might shower you with some booze, as uh, <laughs> certain cities especially are known to do. So there's definitely an opportunity for that. And, you know, usually we see the veteran refs dropping the puck for the first face off. But, uh, you know, certainly an opportunity, too, where we've seen in some memorable games to uh, to give the draw to a guy who's maybe working his first game. We've even seen that in retirement games where obviously the guy who's being honored for going off the ice often gets to drop the puck on the opening draw. So there are some limited opportunities there, but certainly not as widespread and certainly not as visible as what we see for the players. I think it's nice just to have that little uh, special touch to make it extra, extra special in the memory bank. Scouting the Rest podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. There are special savings for you with our partnership with Manscaped. Use the code REFS for your order. Receive 20% off your order and free shipping. Okay, also this past week, Islanders, Capitals, another intense game. We could say that about just about every game this, this week now and as we get closer to the playoffs. These two are battling for position in the East. Islander forward Matt Martin... The disruptor followed uh, Capitals forward Michael Roffel into the corner. He was collecting the puck. Martin gave him a rather solid hit from behind, and Roffel went face first into the boards, kind of crumpled to the ice. 
teammate, defenseman Zidane Ochara, was also in the vicinity. He took exception to the hit, grabbed Martin, who was more than willing to eventually drop the gloves. Chara landed a bunch of punches, Martin took a bunch of punches, and they both skated to the box. So, a couple of things to unpack in this scenario. First of all, the hit that Matt Martin throws on Michael Roffel. I thought it was worthy of penalty. So did the Cavs broadcasters, who were quite uh, quite boisterous about it. I thought it was worthy of a, of a hit from behind, at least a two. It looked like it potentially could be. I think the, the concerning part there, when you do look at the hit back, is whether Raffle was turning his body position at the last second to try to protect the puck. And it, it looks like he's bracing for impact and he's shifting his body where it would have been a hit to the shoulder. And thanks to his body positioning, it, it ends up being a hit right through the numbers. So I'm thinking that on the play, that's something that the league looked at where Raffle's body position contributed to how the hit landed and, and that... Martin could have been attempting to make a legal body check through the shoulder, but because of the turn at the last second, that's what made this look like a boarding penalty. And, and you know, I understand the officials calling it in real time. Tough call. Definitely looks like a mm -hmm. scary hit. And then when player safety is looking back at it and they have to say, you know, was this illegal? Which rule did it break? And did Raffle's body position contribute to how the hit played out? And I think that's why we didn't see any action there from player safety. Veteran officials, John McIsaac, Kelly Sutherland calling the game. So, you know, they're watching for that as well. And I have to imagine they huddled, they discussed it as a group. They, they called, did. They called no penalty on the play. So I'm, I, I have to assume that they all saw the same thing that did you get the body turn on Raffle at the end there? We're not calling this a board. Thankfully, you know, there was no injury on the play and Raffle was able to stay in the game. But based on the non call there, uh, I, I think they got it right. I mean, I, it's a scary hit and you don't want to see anybody injured and he wasn't. But I think based on, on how that rule is and how Raffle came in, turned his body, and when Martin was delivering a legal check, that's what made it turn into a hit through the numbers. And, and you know, I think, I think they did get the call right on this play, Todd. Okay, fair enough. I uh, and you you detailed very nicely that there are certain elements that have to be met, and it's not about blaming the victim in terms of, in this case, Michael Raffle, who changes his body position. But that's part of the consideration of whether or not you are A, going to penalize or B, going to offer some supplementary discipline as well. So I think you detailed that very nicely. But the other half of this play, if you grab a guy after a hit on a teammate. And to use our favorite phrase from a week ago, in a menacing manner, <laughs> initiate, initiate a punch-in-the-face contest, doesn't that warrant 2, 5, and 10? I think it does. I, <laughs> I think this is an instigator penalty. And I'm not saying Chara shouldn't do it. And I'm not saying you shouldn't stick up after your teammates. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be fighting. But I, I think this is where we need to look at, hey, it was a hit. It was determined to be a legal hit, which I'm not expecting Chara to make that penalty assessment as he's dropping the gloves there. This is something that he's clean or dirty. He's going after the guy either way. And right. he is going after the guy. I mean, you, you've got to defend yourself if you're Martin. You delivered what you thought was going to be a legal body check. Yes, Martin's a hard player. He, he sometimes delivers hits that aren't legal. But we talk about, you know, answering the call and, and Chara going to avenge that hit. That's fine. Avenge the hit. But that is clearly an instigator. He's going after the guy to start a fight in response to an action earlier in the game, which is the hit from seconds earlier in the game. I think that's where the league needs to look at. Do we want to have these happen? Uh, Martin's got no choice but to throw back to defend himself. But you can't you can't expect him to turtle there. Even if he doesn't want to fight, you, you know, you've got to defend yourself. 
the linesmen are going to let them go like they do typically for fights. So again, you've got to defend yourself. There's really no choice there, but this fight doesn't happen if Chara doesn't go after Martin. Martin wasn't looking for a fight on the play, and neither was Chara until the hit happened. So to me, Chara's the instigator. You give him two, five, and ten, and the linesmen need to get in there and break that up faster because if you do have a situation where a guy's going after another guy, to me, that's that's one of those situations where you've got an advantage or you've got something where maybe we don't want to let these guys go. Maybe it's not an even fight. And it wasn't in this case because with Chara being the aggressor and certainly his size, jump in there, break that up, give him two, five and 10. Hey, you stuck up for your guy, but now you need to go do the time. Maybe when we started the instigator penalty, the possibility of 17 minutes was intimidating enough that it did deter that type of penalty a little bit. Maybe this is something we need to revisit now that, okay, if 2, 5, and 10 is not enough, maybe we need to adjust the punishment. I don't think it would have made a difference to Zdeno Chara. You're right. Whether it was deemed to be illegal or illegal hit and penalized to Matt Martin, I think he was jumping in to protect and defend his teammate and their honor, or however you want to phrase that. But maybe that's something we need to look at. And for players who are in the position of, in this case, Matt Martin, do you have to keep your gloves on? But how do you defend yourself if you keep your gloves on? It's hard to grab your opponent to keep them close to you from, from throwing punches. And Zdeno Chara, with his 87-inch uh, reach, is going to throw punches that are going to land most times. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, heaven forbid you you duck down and turtle. You'll you'll make Don Cherry lose his mind wherever he's at right now. He'll be who? screaming. <laughs> Screaming at his television, old man yelling at his front lawn. Uh, <laughs> that's what you'd uh, you'd get. And you, you know, you can't. I, I know they, there's plenty of talk about the code in hockey and and playing hard nosed games and things like that. And I, I just I think you're not going to see guys do it. But how how do you respond to that when you've got a guy dropping the gloves coming after you for what is in many cases a legal hit? You can't not defend yourself. But yeah, it, it's a tough spot, Todd. And I think the the only way to really do that is to revisit the instigator and look at it where, hey, this is a hit. This is this fight is coming in response to that. Maybe we need to step in sooner and break it up. And maybe we need to consider that extra penalty for it. It's it's not two guys scrapping at center ice. It's not a mutually agreed upon fight. It's one guy defending himself and he's defending himself because the opposing player is instigating a fight. Here's the other part of that that may have played into it. And as you've told me on numerous occasions, this is stuff that referees and linesmen are aware of. There's a recent history between those two because they fought earlier this month. Yeah, I mean, that that definitely comes into the rule uh, when it comes to the instigator penalty, when it, you look at previous history or your, your favorite menacing situations there. But it, it could be a previous game. It could be the current game. And it's something that the officials need to keep in mind. And it, it's part of the pregame briefs. These guys are talking about the game well before the game. You think about how coaches and players prep for the game and watch video and go over who's paired up, what the line combinations are, things like that for the opposing team. The officials are doing that for both teams to be aware of who's on the ice, what history do they have, who should we watch out for, what types of plays should we be aware of. They're doing that in their pregame, and certainly uh, there's no question they had to be ready for the potential for a, a Martin Chara scrap. It, it happened previously, and two guys who certainly don't shy away from physical play, so absolutely something that was already on their radar. And to me, something that would have tipped me a bit more towards that instigator rule just knowing their history well even when it comes to the instigator i guess the best defense is a good offense the scouting the rest podcast is brought to you by manscaped get 20 percent off and free shipping with code refs at manscaped.com 
That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code REFS. That's R-E-F-S. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.